You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. It is good to see you. Glad you're here today. Those of you in the room, glad you are here. Those of you that are joining us online, glad you're here as well. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to take them, please, and turn with me to the book of Ruth uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. We're going to look at the uh, first chapter. We're at the end of the first chapter today, but we're going to begin with the first three verses of chapter one. We started a series just a couple of weeks ago on the book of Ruth talking about finding God in the ordinary. Today, I want to talk to you about when pain tries to define you, when pain tries to define you. So let's set the stage by reading the first three verses of uh, Ruth chapter one. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came up on the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. To go a little bit further than that, within 10 years of this event happening, her two sons both will marry, and then they will both die in the land of Moab. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, speak to us. I thank you for your word, the fact that we can read your word, but I also thank you for the fact that we can allow your word to read us. And God, I pray you prepare our hearts. Anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear them, our hearts to receive them, so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So to bring you up to speed, if you haven't um, been a part of this a couple of weeks ago, I encourage you to go back and get the first message in it um, as it sort of sets the stage for everything. But just to give you a brief reminder, there is a family and they live in Israel. They live in the region of southern Israel, Judah, and they live in a town called Bethlehem. There is a famine that comes to the land. And it's interesting because in this famine happening in the land of promise, and a town named Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. There's a famine that comes in a place that seems like the promise of God, and it seems like the place where the provision of God should be at all times. And yet there is a famine that is affecting every single person. There is a man there named Elimelech. His name means, my God is king. And yet this man decides he's going to take his family take them out of the land of promise, take them out of the place where it's called the house of bread, and there's a famine going on, and he leaves that area, and he goes to a place called Moab, a place where God said, I don't want you to live or inhabit there. I don't want you to live among these people. And yet Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, instead of trusting God, does what he thinks best for his family at that moment in time. His wife's name is Naomi. Her name means sweet or pleasant. His two sons' name are Malon and Kilion. It literally means sick and tired. (laughs) Told you a couple of weeks ago. I felt that way about kids, but. Now, I don't know if, you know, they married while they're in Moab. I don't know if if the language didn't translate, uh, if they looked frail all their lives, there was obviously something wrong with these boys from the very start. But they found two wives there. And I don't know if it was a surprise to them. I don't know if they hid it from them. I don't know what happened. But they started settling there. The Bible says, and they settled there. As they settled there, Elimelech dies. 
And within 10 years, Malon and Kilion dies. And Naomi, who follows her husband, goes to this land, stays there because she is under the charge of her sons during those days. She now finds herself in a place she never thought she would be, living among a people she never thought she would live among, with two daughters-in-law that she's now feeling responsible for. The first thing you have to see when you look at this story is that pain is unavoidable in your life. Pain is unavoidable. Now, I know you're saying, I don't like that part because we want to avoid pain. We spend our lives trying to avoid pain, but pain is unavoidable. That's why Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've already overcome the world. Pain is unavoidable. Listen, the entire area in the land of promise in Judah and in that city in Bethlehem, everybody was suffering. Everybody's suffering. Everybody's undergoing the famine. It's not isolated. It's not just their family. Everybody is suffering in this area. Elimelech moves his family to this place. And when he gets there, he thinks everything is going to be fine. And then trouble hits, pain hits. And regardless of his decision or how he led his family, here Naomi is. She loses her husband and she loses her two sons. Pain that is indescribable and excruciating. Pain is unavoidable. You can make every good decision in the world and pain can still come to you through death or a loss of a loved one, through natural disasters that are no fault of your own, through an economic downturn in the entire country or entire region. You can do every, make good decisions and yet the economy can affect you in such a way where you're laid off from your job or your business is closed. Pain is unavoidable. Pastor Brett prayed just a few moments ago. Wars and atrocity and evil that is poured out on innocent people because of the wickedness in people's hearts. Pain is unavoidable. Elimelech, living in the land of promise, living in the house of bread, leaves that area because his name says, my God is king. But his actions say, I have to do these things myself. His name says, I trust God. His actions say, I do not. Elimelech tries to run from pain, but here's the thing. There is nowhere to run from pain. But there is somewhere for you to run with pain. Jesus said, although he said, in this world you'll have trouble, he also said, come to me. All you who are weary, heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Naomi finds herself in a place she never thought she would be. Living among a people she never thought she would live among. She finds herself at a crossroads in her life where she is experiencing pain like every person in this room will experience at some point in time because pain is unavoidable. The second thing you need to know is this. Pain will try to define you. It will try to define you and label you. 
not as what you've experienced, but that's what you've become. Look at verses six and seven in in chapter one. It says, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Skip forward to verse 15. Talking now to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. She says, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I ever allow anything but death to separate us. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. And the women asked, is this really Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Lord has made life very bitter for me. Naomi means sweet and pleasant. Mara means bitter. She goes on and says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi or sweet and pleasant when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? She has been through so much for so long that she now says, I don't want to be called by my given name. Don't call me sweet. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Because this is how God is dealing with me right now. This is what long-term pain will do to you. I'm not talking about short-term pain that you, it's, it's, it's difficult, you deal with it, and you get past it. I'm talking about years and years and years of pain built up in you will cause you to want to label yourself or define yourself by that pain instead of how God has created you to be. Chronic pain does that to you. It affects you in ways that you cannot even understand. Almost imperceptibly, over time, you begin to change. In the spring of 1989, I know this sounds like an old war story, right? When you say it like that. In the spring of 1989, I was at my first year at Mississippi State University. And... After class, I think I went to class that day, but after class, we'll assume I did. After class, I was at the fraternity house, and we had built in the back, um, the backyard of the fraternity house, a um, a sand volleyball court. Loved volleyball. Just loved sports. Absolutely loved it. So we're playing back there, and uh, the ball comes to me. I jump up in order to uh, return to serve, and as I come down, I land with both my feet. Something's wrong when I land. Like something feels odd and then excruciating pain. And so as I'm landing, I look down at my right leg and I'm like, something's wrong, like really wrong. Like I thought there was a sniper on the roof. I wasn't sure what was happening, you know? And as I looked down, I went, I think my leg is broken. Something just didn't look right at all. And so I fell down in excruciating pain. I realized, okay, Thigh bones here, foot's pointing that way, something still ain't right. And I'm in excruciating pain. What had happened? So sorry, I know lunch is coming up. I'll try not to be too graphic. What had happened was 
my kneecap had come out of place and come over to the side and refused to go back. And so I'm in excruciating pain. And all I could do at that moment in time was, I have to fix this. So I reached down with, I know, I know. You weren't there. You don't know the pain. So I reached down with both my hands and with a lot of force, put it back in place. The same pain that I just had been feeling was excruciating again. Went to the hospital. They looked at it. Had to go through immobilization, had to go through weeks of physical therapy. And they said, hopefully we'll strengthen the muscles and get it right. And you won't have this problem again. Did all of that. About two years later, I'm playing a game of pickup basketball and I'm running down the court. And all of a sudden, same thing happens again. And this cycle began to get more and more and more regular. More regular for the next 26 years. But it wasn't just playing sports. Listen, it was so bad that I couldn't play pickup sports anymore. I couldn't just go and somebody say, you want to play football? Sure. You want to play basketball? Sure. I had to go and say, where's my knee brace? Where's my knee brace that keeps it? It still wanted to move, but it would keep it from moving. And Where's my knee brace? I never could do I had to always be prepared when my kids were born, I couldn't go outside in the backyard and just run around with the kids. Let daddy go get the knee brace, you know. Started to define me. Started to become who I was. I, I just, I couldn't do any of that stuff. It got to the point, though, where it wasn't about sports. Um, one, uh, we were at a family vacation. We were just about getting ready to leave for that morning, and we were in a hotel room. And um, all I did, I was, um, I was at the end of the bed, and I was going to turn. And as I turned, just like this, that's it. Kneecap came out. I fell back on the bed. Kids are like, Dad, are you all right? Laura's like, are you all right? All I could say was, everybody stop talking, you know. <laughs> just, no, I, I, just, I just had to deal with the pain. It was at that moment I went, okay, this is affecting me more and more and more and more. So I went to a surgeon. He said, here's the problem. He said, your kneecap doesn't sit all the way down like it's supposed to. We're going to have to strengthen the ligament. Your ligament's bad. We've got to replace it. So we've got to do full surgery, replace the ligament. Okay, we did it. And... Uh, recovered, had it immobilized, started going back to physical therapy. As I went back to physical therapy and they're working on the muscles and getting them back, um, at a certain point, I went from doing exercises that were on, on uh, like the, the gurney or the bed or um, whatever, and I went to the point where I was starting to walk again, and they said, okay, now it's time. We want to do some more things. And they said, so here's what we're going to do. Very, very simple. We're going to do a bodyweight squat. Okay, that's it. Just a bodyweight squat. Do you all know what a bodyweight squat is, right? Okay, good. So that's where you just, you just take your legs, bend them down, and just pop right back up. I did it. Physical therapist, she looked at me. She said, could, could you do that again? I said, sure. I did it again. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing a squat. She said, that's not a squat. I said, what do you mean? I've exercised all my life. She says, that does. What you're doing is not a squat. And so she demonstrated for me that instead of going straight down, for years, I had compensated for a bad leg that when I thought I was balanced, I was literally over like this for the entire time. And she said, how long have you been doing that? I said, well, I didn't even know I was doing it now. What she said was, 
She said, your body has been so used to the pain on your right side. You have compensated for so long. You don't walk exactly right. You don't run exactly right. You can't even exercise exactly right. And I had no idea. But everybody else could see me. It was only when I got to the point where I realized something inside of me that I can't fix, I've got to bring to someone else who can fix it. This is the problem with long-term, years-long pain, physical and emotional. You think you can handle it. You think you can cope. You think you can adjust. And all along the way, you are compensating. And everybody else can see it. But you can't. And there comes a time when you've got to take that inner pain to someone else because you can't fix it. This is what Naomi does. She goes back to the land of Judah, back to Bethlehem, and she is filled with pain. And she tells them, don't you dare call me sweet and pleasant anymore. Call me Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. But here is the biggest step she made. She felt that way, but she went back to the place where she could find the land where she knew the promise was and the God who made the promise. Because although pain is unavoidable, it will try to define you. God can take that pain and turn it around. The third thing I want you to see is this. Pain is redeemed when you bring it to God. Pain is redeemed when you bring it to God. So when she comes home and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara is not a proper name. It, it, you, it's, not a, it's a descriptive word. She says, call me this. Do you know there's only one other place in Scripture where it is called a proper name? It's way back in the book of Exodus. This is right after an unbelievable miracle takes place where God takes the people of Israel who have been in slavery and bondage for 400 years in Egypt and he delivers them out by doing the 10 plagues and the Passover and he brings them out and they come to the Red Sea and they are trapped by the Red Sea in front of them and the armies of Pharaoh are behind them closing in and God works the miraculous and parts the Red Sea and the people of Israel walk over on dry land and the Egyptians try to come in afterwards and the Red Sea um, uh, collapses upon them and destroys all the army and their enemy is never to be seen again, it says. That major miracle is taking place. And then they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And within three days, they run into a problem that causes them to accuse God of being bitter with them. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. And they traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, 
And this made the water good to drink. Literally, the word good to drink means the Lord made the water sweet. After a major victory, after a major miracle, after a major deliverance, within three days, they find themselves thirsty and they find an oasis and a body of water that is unfit to drink. And they call the place Mara and they said, God is dealing bitterly with us. Moments, it seems, after the miraculous takes place, they accuse God of acting bitterly. But we do that too, don't we? We get so overwhelmed by the present circumstances, we forget the miraculous he's already done for us in our lives. Sometimes we forget the miraculous physical healing that he takes in our lives, and we become so nervous and anxiety and anxious and filled with worry and fear at the next test results, even though God has brought us through in that moment. We've seen God provide for us even at the very last minute with regularity, but still we worry about a bill or something that's coming due in weeks or months. Some of the hardest moments are after he brings you out, but before he brings you in. They've come out of bondage. They're heading into the promised land, and they're not there yet. And they wonder, is God still good? And then God turns everything around. The Bible says that he tells Moses, go get not a piece of wood. Go get a particular piece of wood I have selected, and I want you to throw it into that water. And the Bible says that it is made sweet right there with one word and a piece of wood that God selects in that moment, cast into that water of bitterness, everything is made sweet. This is literally a foreshadowing of 1,500 years later when there is a particular piece of wood that is placed on the back of his son as he walks up to a hill called Calvary, and he takes upon himself all the punishment that we are supposed to have, and he pays the price for our sin, and Jesus is raised to new life after giving his life for our sins, as he comes forth out of that grave, we get new life again. In the same way, God took a particular piece of wood, cast it into every moment of every bitter place in your life, and because of Jesus Christ, it's been made sweet and whole and right again. And they will continue to call that place Mara, but not because it's bitter anymore. They will continue to call it Mara. Because they will say, do you remember when God took the bitter and made it sweet? Do you remember that? And God speaks to them a passage that many people quote today. God says, if you follow me, I will not put on you any of the diseases I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. First time it ever appears in scripture, right there. Quoted all the time, Lord's our healer. What's he say? I will not do to you what I did to them. Because all they've known of God, since Moses has come to them and said, God has appeared to me and he's going to bring you out of Egypt. The slavery that you and your forefathers and all of your ancestors have known, God's bringing you out at this moment. 
And watch, he's going to do the miraculous. But every miracle God does in their presence has been a miracle of wrath and vengeance upon the Egyptians. They've never seen him do one of provision. And here God makes the water sweet and he says, I need you to see that I'm not a God that you need to fear that's against you. If you follow me, I'm the Lord who heals you. You have to see me differently in that moment. He goes on to say in verse 27, after leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam where they found 12 springs now, one for each tribe, 70 palm trees, and there they camped. God takes the bitter, makes it sweet in that moment, and then brings them to a place of abundance. Naomi comes home from deep pain, deep sorrow, deep hurt. She says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because I feel like the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. But then in verse 22, it almost seems like it doesn't matter when you read it. But it does. Verse 22 of Ruth chapter 1 says this, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. That seems like a trivial detail, but it's not. You see, God arranged for her to return and to arrive just as the barley harvest was taking place. Because she was a young widow and poor and indigent, she would be allowed to go through the fields behind those who were harvesting who were not allowed to go back over it, but only the first time because God allowed to, the provision to take care of the poor. She would be allowed to go there. And it would just so happen that she would go into the fields of a man named Boaz, a man that God had selected years prior to it to be the kinsman redeemer. We'll talk about that next week. The kinsman redeemer for not only Ruth, but Naomi and their family and would literally take that moment and bring their present to meet their future in a moment they were least expecting it. They thought they were coming home out of pain and they were, but God had already arranged that that pain was turning to promise because what they didn't know was God was working behind the scenes, preparing all of this to not only turn the situation around for Ruth and Naomi, but for their family, for their future, and for future generations to come. It may take some time, but God knows how to bring abundance into your life. There's a moment he'll bring you out of bitter. There's a moment he'll bring you into sweet. But there may be a time in between where it's bittersweet. You're, you're walking with both of those. But yet, when you bring it to God, he can redeem your pain. He can take that pain and transform it into promise. 
Do you know what I love about the rest of this book? She says in that moment, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me sweet. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me better. Not one person. Not the writer. Not the narrator. Not the one telling the story. Not one person in the story ever calls her Mara. Because though she feels it and though she wants it to define her, no one will allow her feelings or her pain to define her. They look at her and say, I know that's how you feel. But you're still sweet. You're still pleasant. This is who you are. This is who God made you to be. And I know you feel this way right now, but God will bring you out. And you have to believe that. There are some of you that have dealt with years-long pain. And if you'll allow God to, he can redeem it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? If you're in this room right now, one of the first things that God has to redeem is through your relationship with Jesus Christ to make you whole. If you know things aren't right between you and the Lord when you came in here this morning, I'm gonna ask you to just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your sacrifice was enough to pay the price for my sins, that your grace is sufficient for my soul. I ask you to forgive me of my past, make me whole, and I surrender my life to you. I yield to your lordship, and I will never be the same. Save me today completely. I'm going to ask everyone in the room just to pray this prayer profession. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around except the ministry team and me. If that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out, but if that's you, you know when you came in here this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord. But you say, I'm making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time today. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to raise your hand really high while no one's looking around? Just leave it up for just a moment, please. Thank you. Amen. Just a moment, please. Thanks. All right, you can put them down. With your eyes still closed, head still bowed. If you're in here and you have dealt with years and years long pain, you say, Pastor, that's me. I have dealt with pain and it's tried to define me over and over and over again. And I need the Lord to redeem it. Would you just lift your hand up and let me see that hand just for a moment, please. Yeah, you're not alone. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you for changed lives and redeemed lives and hope that has been renewed. And now in our time of prayer, I pray that you will touch lives who have been touched by pain for so long that it feels like it's a part of them. I pray that as you redeem that pain, Lord, that as you bring them through and bring them out, that the pain will turn to promise and they will see your providence your provision, your hope begin to manifest itself in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you all to stand with me, please.
We're going to worship together for just a moment. Our prayer team is going to be down here. I'm going to invite them to go ahead and come, the prayer team to come. And as we worship, if that's you, you need prayer. You need someone to agree with you in prayer, especially those of you who have had years long of pain. You say, I just need to bring that to God and allow him to redeem those things right now. I'm going to invite you to come and allow someone to pray with you right now. Let's worship together. Let's believe together. Let's pray together right now.
God is good. Where, what is her name? Where's Abigail? Who just brought money down here? <laughs> Abigail, that's something I've never seen before. Do you know your name means you bring the Father joy? I just want you to know you brought this place joy today. Listen, tomorrow morning, there you are. I thought you did a great job. Come on up. No, come on up. Come on up. Go give it to him. Go give it right to him. I'll make him take it. I promise. Do I owe you five dollars now? <laughs> Scott? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, in the morning, you're going to wake up. And for those of you who made some declarations today, the, the enemy's going to try to tell you. But nothing's changed, I'm telling you. You've brought it to God. He's going to redeem it. Give him time. Give him away. He's going to redeem it in your life. Amen. 
Before we leave, one more time, I want us to just lift up. Would you just, it's a particular prayer. I want us to lift up Israel right now to you, the people of Israel and that entire area right now. Father, you declared it long ago, these are your people. Not because they were great and mighty. You said because they were small and that you could make your name great through them. So I pray, God, do what only you can do right now. God, I pray for the people of Israel, your protection over them right now. I pray for the innocent Palestinians, many of which are Christians that I've met along the years, along the way, going traveling to Israel. Protect the innocent, I pray. Bring justice to those who have committed these atrocities and put your protective hand over that entire land so your name may be glorified. And as Pastor Brett prayed earlier, use what the enemy is trying to bring as evil and turn it for good. Let this moment be a moment where the doors for the gospel come in this place. And people not only know you as Jehovah, but they see Jesus as Messiah. And God, we will continue to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as you manifest that in Israel right now. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Can you give the Lord praise right now? Hey, speaking of that, why don't we celebrate really big three people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Come on. Amen. If you made that decision today or in the last few weeks, I just want to invite you. Our grow team's going to be down here. We'd love to talk with you, get some resources in your hands. Also, if you just want a way to get more plugged in at North, find out some more information about that, there's a card in front of you in the Seatback Connect card. Grab that, take it. You can put it in any of the giving boxes, but also you can take it right outside in the atrium to our connection play, uh, station out there. And what is the name of that place? I've messed it every... What is it? Connection, connection Point. Thank you. <laughs> Who's in the back screaming it out? All right, connection point. I, I would say I'll get it right next week, but I don't know if I will or not. But take it out in the atrium. Uh, Pastor Drew's out there. would love to talk with you and get you some more information about getting plugged in here at Mount Perrin North. Let me bless you as my privilege today before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.